Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 3, 2, 1, go. Welcome to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill on, on, on 710WOR. Good morning. This is Jeffrey Hill, your host right here on 710WOR Radio in New York City. With me is my producer, the Flipsinator, and what a gentleman that we've effectively kind of promoted up to the position of co-host, Jay Contessa. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. We're all coronavirus free. All right. Well, all right. I'm not, I'm not sure get how that, much of a joke that is, but but we, get that off, but we can move with that. Good, we can move with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's been a fascinating week on many levels. I do want to get into the coronavirus just a little bit because it has, uh, you know, a lot of impact on virtually everything that everyone is talking about and certainly – Kind of not only the political dynamics, but, you know, kind of the economic dynamics of all businesses, including this one. Right. So let's start out talking about the Democratic process for presidents. Another six primaries have completed this week. And uh, we saw Mr. Biden take five out of six. Yeah. Pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, he's on a roll for, for a guy that literally lost and <laughs> yeah. ran for president twice. Yeah. Didn't win a single state. Yeah. Guys now won 15 out of 16 states. That's right? crazy. You know, I'm, I'm a, I hate to admit this on on, on, this, on this radio channel, but I'm proud of I'm proud of the fact that I'm a, I'm an often watcher of MSNBC. I also watch Fox News, just as just, <laughs> just so that nobody yells at me here. All right, and uh, this is a show called Morning Joe, right? Yeah. Yeah, Joe and Mika, the famous Joe and Mika, and they virtually had this gentleman, the head Biden, literally in the grave. They were they were having a week, and they were referring to him as quote gone from the race, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tying now, the tag on the toe, and now look where <laughs> exactly right, and now look where we are so uh flips um what are your thoughts on that i mean it's gonna be it, trump's still gonna beat him i mean it's, but i mean congrats to joe i mean he'll get he'll get something i guess well I, you know it's gonna be interesting because Instead i want to talk the vp he'll be the guy that got beat by trump <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm not i'm not sure entirely sure that's the case i yeah. you know let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus uh a couple of serious things and then a couple of political thoughts first um I think, Jay, you, you, when you come into the show, you literally go right past New Rochelle, right? Correct, yeah. New Rochelle is part of Westchester County, for those right. of you who don't know. It's about a 45-minute ride from New York City. Uh, they had a 100 patients, a 100-patient outbreak up there that confirmed to have the virus, and uh, it's absolutely amazing what's going on there, right? Yeah. They yeah. literally have shut the schools down, which apparently is becoming less, um, you know, kind of less unusual but the most unusual thing I've ever heard is I've, ne- I've ne- literally never heard this. They they called out the National Guard right. yeah. to, right. for a one mile kind of trading radius around that area. Right. Right. Yeah, it was to help I think uh, bring food to some of the kids that uh, you know obviously weren't going to school or and, the elderly. Uh, yeah, the elderly stuff. Making like that, sure yeah. that they could take care right. of uh, people that needed to get to right. I, I hope yeah. it doesn't get any worse than that because you can just imagine, right? Oh, you can yeah. just imagine the you know people challenging, right? If you're sick. I don't want you to come out of that geography. I live a mile and a half away. Right. You know, where's the border? Right. And the National Guard is right there. There's, you know, kind of military looking trucks What is in what is now a civic community area. Yeah. I mean, it could really, really kind of get under control. Well, we have yeah. a uh, clip from uh, Cuomo about the whole situation. You do. What we are going to do is focus on an area, concentric circle, around the situs of the majority of the cases in New Rochelle. I don't even know. I think he even knows what he's talking about. Situs. Situs, <laughs> yeah. situs a new word? Sounds like he's just making words up. Yeah. The, <laughs> the situs. All right. Is that bursitis or is that, that just... was one of his 19 press conferences. Yeah, exactly right. You yeah. know, I was watching the international news also, and the UK health, manage, health minister has just tested positively. Positive, yeah. And apparently she met with the prime minister there, Boris yeah. Johnson, yeah. Uh, days after falling ill, right? Right. And they're thinking literally about suspending parliament there. Right. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Sir, this is just after two two weeks after Trump said, quote, we have only 15 confirmed cases and tests will be available if you need them in an unlimited quantity. Right. <laughs> 
And of course, you know, <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. No. Keep in mind the, the, the world truck health, wasn't behind them. <laughs> right? yeah. The World Health Organization had a test available, which you might also know, yeah. that could have been produced in theory on an unlimited basis. We simply needed to get the, uh, you know, the academic community behind it, the hospitals behind it, et cetera. But yep. the World Health Organization had the, had the methodology, the game plan, and basically uh, they put the kibosh on it, right? So I don't understand why this makes any sense. I guess it all comes down to some extent to control, right? I mean, for whatever reason, our current president feels this desire, this tremendous desire to maintain control over many things that are literally beyond his areas of expertise. Yeah, yeah. I just don't get that. Like, Sometimes you know, he seems like he speaks before he actually knows what's happening. You know, I've, I've, I've worked for a lot of companies. I've seen a lot of things. I've consulting for businesses all over the world and what i think what is consistently the case right is when you've got people in positions of senior leadership that get into areas they simply don't understand it just can't be good right 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 cannot be well, good. we've all faced that but you know usually you're able to protect them yeah exactly <laughs> right. own, I mean, uh, and, and, and right. historically that's been the case as well sure. right because yeah. our presidents are yeah. literally not expert in all the variety of issues that yeah. they need to deal yeah. with but they put people around them called the cabinet heaven forbid yeah who provide expertise and yeah. judgment in certain areas yeah right you don't put your friends and family around you necessarily because perhaps they don't have the expertise to provide some judgment. Yep. You know, and healthcare keeps moving incredibly quickly and dynamics keep changing. Obviously, the virus is one thing. And, you know, and ultimately, we, we simply need to keep pace. Right? right. And I think it all comes down to basically using data, using analytics, using kind of fact based thinking to drive the bus. Right. Clearly, that's not something that's going on in government. And, you know, in many instances, in an emotional category like the one we talk about on the show, cannabis, right, that's another, you know, that's another category where, again, I'd like to see more fact-based thinking carry the day. So between the upcoming election and the dynamics of the virus, passing the key bills that are going to be needed to accelerate this category, I just can't imagine happening anytime soon. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I, no, I agree. They're going to get pushed to the bottom. I mean, their, their priorities are going to go... You right, know, everything they have, you know, everybody's going to focus on one thing, and that's it. You know, yeah. that'll be the current fight. You know, just think about this: we got the Safe Banking Act, which needs to get done so that we can have more banking, more more economic support in the category. We have the States' Rights Act, which allows the states to do the kinds of things they need to do. Right, right. Or, excuse me. That, that, so that allows the federal government to kind of lay off the states to make sure that there's not going to be any kind of uh, whiplash against the states for having approved. Uh, the product one way or another, either on a medicinal or an adult use basis. And he got to the Schedule 1 issue, right? right. And the, which is the controlling issue that will ultimately make progress in the space. And I, ju- I just can't see any things, things moving forward. Yeah, unless the federal gets out of the way and lets the states mandate it so that uh, you know, they'll think, go do what's best for I them. Everybody's too worried about coronavirus to worry about anything yeah. else. I think right yeah, now. that's fascinating. Of course, the other side of the issue is the economy, right? Because... <laughs> You know, as I was driving in today, I heard about two major concerts being canceled, right? Conventions in Vegas are being threatened. Yep. Um, I was invited to, to make a presentation at a long-term care invitation. I know that everybody in the audience is particularly excited about that. <laughs> These are 4,000 agents trying to understand the impact cannabis can have on long-term health care. It's a long-term disability kind of an insurance meeting, right? 4,000 folks coming. And uh, there's a judgment that around the world, there's a lot of good things being seen among the elderly primarily in terms of assisting them with some very challenging issues and diseases. More clinical data than ever before is now becoming available to kind of take a look at that. And these four, so these 4,000 folks were getting together. They asked me to make a presentation. I just got a call the other day that said they're canceling the entire, they're the entire event. Yeah. All right. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the starting point of what should be an interesting show. We're going to follow an abbreviated version of the four segments of the show, and we have a fabulous guest for you. Uh, the first segment is called Cannabis in the Tri-State Plus One, and the Plus One, of course, is Massachusetts. We're just going to highlight some of the key activities in each of the four states. There's some interesting things going on, but uh, to be quite honest, it gets overshadowed by some of the dynamics we were just chatting about. The second segment, of course, Stunning and Amazing Facts, what I consider to be the most relevant issues and opportunities I want to focus on the international markets and the data in terms of what is going on, which leads us to our third segment of the show today, uh, today's guest. It will be my pleasure to introduce Roy Bingham, who's the CEO of BDS Analytics, one of the leading data providers in the space. Roy is a Harvard MBA and former McKinsey consultant, a serial entrepreneur in his own right, and founder of a company called BDS Analytics. He is a return guest, having been on the show, our 21st show, 
literally 22 weeks ago, and you won't want to miss him. He's going to provide a lot of perspective on the trends in the category, what's happening domestically and internationally, and they are probably the preeminent data suppliers in the space and will be a fascinating conversation. Lastly, we will end with our fourth segment called Your Messages, providing answers to the most interesting direct messages we received following last week's show. All right, we'll be back with our first segment, Cannabis in the Tri-State Plus One, right after this. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to CBDeliveryNY.com. That's CBDeliveryNY.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill right here on 710WOR Radio every Sunday at 8 a.m. The show becomes a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Spotify, along with our YouTube channel, we're also on virtually all social sites, and you can get all those at NYCBD Official. That's NYCBD Official, so take a look. All right, let's move on to our first segment of the show, Cannabis in the Tri-State Plus One, and let's begin in New York. All right, so we've, we already had a little bit of conversation about New York with the situation that's taking place in New Rochelle, right, and all that's going on with the National Guard, etc. But let's move on to a slightly different New York City topic, and that is, despite the fact that New York City has a claimed 1.1 million marijuana enthusiasts, let me repeat that, 1.1 million, a recent video has gone viral all over the state showing a brutal arrest of a plainclothes police officer stopping an African-American. When he was asked why did he stop this individual in the first place, the officer claims to have seen him smoking cannabis in a nearby park. This is absolutely astounding, right? Remember, the NYPD was instructed to stop arresting people for cannabis possession almost two years ago. The data says white New Yorkers are nearly twice as likely as black and Hispanic residents to report smoking marijuana, right? So let me repeat that. The average Caucasian is twice as likely in terms of numbers and percentages to smoke cannabis, which I find fascinating, right? Yeah. That's a new number that I haven't seen before. Huh? You don't, yet 92% of people arrested for possession in 2019 were people of color. Bottom line, the state needs to create and make very specific, and let me use the term, much more black and white laws as it relates to cannabis possession. And yes, pun is intended. All right, let's go around the room just quickly on this, Jay. Thoughts on that, right? So yeah. here we are in, this, in the state of New York where we spend most of our time, because yep. I know you live in Connecticut, but we spend most of our time here in the yep, state of New a lot York. Of time. And uh, Cuomo could not be more vocal on this topic, right? Mm-hmm. And to our good friend, Mr. Flips's comment a little bit ago, it's constantly coming up and referencing the need to go, uh, you know, make cannabis adult use in this state. And yet you have an activity like this, which literally has taken over the press. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I would hope our police officers have better things to do, Um, you know, and and it goes nowhere, right? It's going to get thrown out of uh, of court, right? A judge is going to look at this and and, and throw it out. So wasted a lot of people's time, a lot of of valuable dollars that could be used doing something, you know, far more beneficial to the uh, community. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, just... Listen, Mr. Uh, Flipsy, you have a thought on this? What part of the month was it? Yeah, exactly. That's a very authentic comment because <laughs> a lot of this comes back to the same issues we've talked about on the show countless times. I'm almost, I'm almost bored with my own comments here. And that is that we simply need to begin to change the whole system from top to bottom. If you're going to create a policy that says that we're no longer going to arrest people, well, then you need to change the quotering system and the other dynamics that represent a big part of the numbers that these people get paid on. Right. Right. So it's hard to challenge a police officer who needs to deliver certain numbers. Right. If you take away one third of the opportunity for him to achieve those numbers. Right. 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 You know, you may, you must make commensurate changes in their quota, their compensation, their bonusing program, the whole nine yards. Right. Right. 
All right, let's move on to New Jersey, where the Supreme Court said Tuesday that medical marijuana patients cannot be fired for failing a drug test for cannabis. The ruling sends a message to employers across the state that they cannot fire employees simply for using medical marijuana while off duty. Right now, ask yourself the question, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a medical marijuana card or a prescription to any drug and you use that product either on duty or off duty, what gives your employer the right to fire you? Right. Simply astounding. I mean, just the common sense test for so many of these things should seem to solve the problem. This would never be done if the word cannabis wasn't included, but it was any other prescription. Right. In fact, people would condone the use of other pharmaceutical products to address certain health conditions. Right. During the workplace. Right. However, in this particular instance, that's not the case. The case started in Bergen County. And the Tuesday ruling further defines protections for more than the 70,000 medical marijuana patients across the state. In recent years, courts in several other states, including Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, have weighed in on similar cases, giving participants in medical marijuana programs protections and saying employers must accommodate their legal use of marijuana. There are more than 71,000 patients, 2,700 caregivers, and 1,100 doctors participating in the program, according to the New Jersey Department of Health. The number of patients has tripled since Governor Phil Murphy took office in 2018, but the number of dispensaries simply haven't kept pace with demand. Recent efforts to license new places to buy medical marijuana have been held up in court battles and shortages, advocates, advocates say, is driving up prices substantially. All right. So overall, the state of New Jersey continues to struggle. There's going to be a referendum in November, along with the presidential vote. And we'll have to see what the outcome of that is. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. But if you look at the individual states, time after time, you see similar kinds of challenges. Jay, your thoughts? No, no, you're, to your point, you're correct. It's, uh, they continue to have, all states uh, continue to have these challenges of getting this, uh, you know, this through. All right, let's move on to Connecticut. Connecticut has decriminalized the use of marijuana in 2011. We all know that. A new bill discussed before the Judiciary Committee on Monday goes a step further, legalizing the possession and the sale of the drug for recreational use. Once again, the issue comes down to supporting the science or simply calling it a money grab. Here is a quote that totally underplays the medicinal value of the space. Quote, No one here is advocating the use of cannabis, said Representative Steve Staffstrom, a Democrat from Bridgeport, Connecticut, of course. This is about saying it's here, it's on our doorstep, it's on our streets. How would we, as a state, regulate the substance? You know, I just find this absolutely remarkable. Once again, you've got politicians coming out publicly, and instead of having read the clinical data – Right. Yep. A little bit later on, we're going to have an interview with Roy Bing. I'm a fascinating guy, and he's going to talk to you about the thousands of clinical studies that have been conducted in this space and the number of disease states that this space is effectively addressing. And yet, when asked the question, why are we doing this? We've got individual after individual talk about it as if it's a money grab. Right. Now, there's no question that the the, the money's good, right? I I clearly see the value, the incremental value, especially with all the economic dynamics that are going to take place in the short term relating to the virus. Right. In the medium to longer term, who knows what's going to happen to the economy. Mm -hmm. But what we do now is... Bills in a state never go down, do they? No, no, they, no, all, no, no. all they do is go north. <laughs> oh, exactly. Remind me again what town you live in. You live in Ridgefield, right? Uh, Reading. Yep. Reading. What, mm-hmm. what, what's the real estate uh, taxes like in your town? Oh, it's terrible. Absolutely yeah. astounding, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of Connecticut, you know, especially like GE leaves, all of the, 
you, know, you got people really are fleeing Connecticut, like New York. Um, so that puts a huge burden each year back on the taxpayer. Right, exactly right. So while I'd like to see the medicinal value of the space at least brought to 50% of the conversation, we do know that the economic value is going to be substantial. On Monday, dozens of people testified both for and against Governor Ned Lamont, of course, governor of Connecticut, his 108-page bill legalizing recreational marijuana. The Department of Revenue Services estimates the state will collect about $16 million after the bill takes effect in 2022, and they expect that number to grow to about $60 million in the second year and on up from there. Keep in mind, in the state of Colorado, they've collected over $300 million in incremental taxes right. on a business that's, that's done about $1.5 billion in total revenue, right? Right. Once again, opponents are calling it a money grab and a state struggling to pay its bills. Right. Governor Lamont has been aggressively voicing his support for legalization, renewing his call for cannabis during the state of the state address and included funding in his budget proposal to support the hiring of government employees to help establish a regulatory framework for cannabis. Current projections call for the adult use in Connecticut consistent with this timing towards the middle to end of 2022. All right, let's move on to Massachusetts. Nearly four years after the state legalized recreational cannabis, Boston has finally opened its first adult use store. It's called Pure Oasis. It opened at 11 a.m. in Dorchester, and there were dozens and dozens of people in the line. In fact, the word from my friends, you may know I grew up in the Massachusetts area, is that it was one of the longest lines they'd ever seen to open any store in any business in the state. Half from from Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps that's true, right? And the other half from New York coming over. Right. right, It is also the first marijuana store owned by people in the state's economic empowerment program designed to aid those who were targeted by the war on drugs. Said another way, the economic empowerment program is designed to focus on the black and brown community who might have been the most negatively impacted by the war on drugs, right? Mm -hmm. These folks at Pure Oasis are a big part of the ownership. They opened the store I saw pictures of the two gentlemen that run the store, and they are both of African-American descent, reinforcing the governor's position in that state to try to do a little bit more on the economic empowerment situation. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my thoughts on the critical issues in the tri-state plus Massachusetts. When we come back, we'll move on to the next segment of our show, Stunning and Amazing Facts. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to cbdeliveryny.com. That's cbdeliveryny.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. And I just can't wait to get on the road again either. All right. Thank you very much, Flips. I wasn't expecting the John Denver lead in, but he is a cannabis fan. And so in that regard, we appreciate that one. All right. Don't forget, we have a blog at medium.com slash at Jeffrey Hill 2. That's medium.com slash at Jeffrey Hill 2. And we have social media coverage on virtually all social outlets. And you, of course, can watch us on YouTube, all at NYCBD Official. All right, let's move on to the next segment of our show, Stunning and Amazing Facts. And I think we ought to start with um, the political side of things as Joe Biden's position on cannabis begins to soften. I know what I have said in the past, he recently was quoted as saying, but there has been a lot more research done. On top of respecting states' rights to implement their own cannabis policies, Biden said in a recent interview that he'd, quote, instruct his departments not to enforce the federal law, close quote, in states that have already enacted legalization. So that's a bit like saying he'll go ahead and make the States' Rights Act real. Yeah, States' Rights Act, again, reinforcing the fact that they that act would make sure that the federal government could not reach its long hand in yeah. to a state and change things that have already been decided by that state. Right. And so Biden has come pretty far around, hasn't he? He also said 
it should be changed to a Schedule II drug, which is the first time that he's taken that position, right? And that is quite intriguing. We should move in a direction to make sure it's not a criminal offense, he said. Any conviction at all for marijuana now or in the future or in the past should be expunged from your record as well. It's not something that is going to send anybody to jail, as far as I'm concerned, under my presidency. All right, so there you go. There's a very distinct point of difference between himself, and he does seem to be the preemptive nominee, doesn't he? Right? Yep, looks like that's... And our current president, who's taken a position that basically says, number one, he wants to hold on to the federal government's ability to reach into the states, right? He, he made that quite clear, having canceled a number of riders to some recent bills that would have eliminated that ability, right? And he's constantly being quoted as, as saying any number of neg- negative things about cannabis, right? Now, as we get closer to, I think, the, uh, the election, the, right, the election <laughs> and this topic becomes a point of difference, yeah, yeah. I'll be curious to see how Mr. Trump changes. Yeah. But I'm going to suggest that uh, as of now, I think he strongly believes that his, you know, basically what I'll call meaningfully f- a right of right. Yep. Um, all right. So that position from Joe Biden is a meaningful change versus where he has been, isn't it, Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's- yeah, and I, I think that great progress. One of the things that that you know, I mean, you know, everybody challenges a politician if they change their point of view. Well, it must be because they ran some kind of a poll somewhere, and the poll was in support of the position that they've now taken. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. But by the same token, what Biden has come out and publicly said is, and let's hope he's done what he said, that he's read a, a series of analytics in the category. He's read a lot about the medicinal reality of the category, and I'm going to suggest the gentleman is what he's 78, I believe. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah. yeah, and so he's got an awful lot of friends who are experiencing a number of issues, right? right? Yeah. S- sleep deprivation, all kinds of issues with pain, inflammation, arthritis, etc. Where cannabis, you know, looks like it can have a very, very significant impact. I say looks like only because the clinical data has not been accepted by the FDA, but I've read hundreds of studies which clearly underscores that as the case. Now, interestingly enough, our current president has taken a very strong position against cannabis. And that's a position I think he's going to hold on to um, until or unless such time as kind of what I'll call the the right side of the Republican Party decides to change their point of view. All right, let's move on to the next stunner. Two medical marijuana bills focused on military veterans are scheduled for votes in a congressional committee this week. The House Veterans Affairs Committee legislation focuses on increasing legal access to medical cannabis under state laws and expanding research on its therapeutic effects. This comes one year after the panel held a hearing on these and other cannabis bills, though a previously scheduled vote was later canceled. This time around, advocates are hopeful that the committee will approve the two bipartisan bills. Well, what do they call for? The first, called the Veterans Equal Access Act, would allow doctors at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, of course the VA, to issue medical cannabis recommendations to their patients in states where it's legal. All right? That seems to make all the sense in the world. All right? Yep. So if I'm in Massachusetts and it's a legal state or Colorado, Michigan, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I'm a veteran and I'm struggling with a number of issues like PTSD, sleep deprivation, a whole host of other things, and I've heard – countless stories and countless studies that exist talking about how I can be helped. Well, heaven forbid the Veterans Administration is perhaps going to loosen its, loosen its grip here. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. The, the question will come down to the insurance issue, right? Right, so, exactly. You know, if they're swapping a medication out, which is being covered by insurance, and moving into cannabis, which is not covered by insurance, you know, here we are again, you know, trying to do the right thing. Yet I can't afford to do the right thing. Right. Oh, so that's just going to come down to whether or not the VA is going to be prepared to pay for it, right? Because right. the VA is the insurance. Yes. Right? The yeah. VA is <laughs> kind of covers that which is conducted, the, 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 the medical uh, treatments that are that are secured by the yeah. veterans. And so we'll have to wait and see what, what happens there. But that will be a critical issue. The second bill would require the VA to conduct clinical trials on the medical potential of cannabis in the treatment of conditions such as PTSD and chronic pain. For those of you who have listened to the show week after week, we've had several military vets on the show, um, and virtually everyone has gotten great value, you know, from from taking cannabis for a range of health issues, right? And even Shulkin, which we've quoted a couple of times, ex-secretary of the VA, is now out publicly supporting the need for more available use among our veterans. 
So, again, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time. It's time for the VA to publicly come out and make the statement. Now, we understand the politics associated with this. The VA is a federally mandated, regularly regulated body, and it's skill schedule one at the federal level. Having said that, we simply need to find a way, and these two bills may be a step in the right direction. All right, let's move on to the next stunners. Many of you have asked us to keep uh, keep you updated on sports. Many of you have children in sports. Many of you have children who aspire to be professional athletes. I certainly did. Jay, how many kids did you have that per- aspire to be a professional athlete uh, when, they were, when they were young? Right? Both. <laughs> right, exactly right. Flipsy doesn't have kids yet, but yeah. I promise you when he does have kids, the first thing they're going to say is, Dad, yeah. where's the where's basketball? My Nick, where's my Nick jersey? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. But hopefully they'll say, where's my Yankees yeah, uh, jersey? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, if they, the Knicks may never see the professional game <laughs> or a game played like professionals, right? Yeah. All right, so let's go through it. The National Football League is drastically updating its cannabis policies in the new collective bargaining agreement between the league and the players. Under the potential changes, the league would suspend a player for cannabis use only in the event it was breaking the state's laws. Isn't that fascinating? So in other words, the new CBA is going to suggest that for in all those states, and just think about it, Seattle – Right. Where the Seahawks play, Colorado, yeah. right? Where the Broncos play, Massachusetts, where the Patriots play, and we could go on and on and on. Right. Even Chicago, yeah. Illinois, right? Yeah, Illinois, yeah. Chicago, where the Bears play, right? All those states allow adult use. So the new CBA would say that in those states, it's okay. The new rules would also effectively decriminalize cannabis use in all of the NFL, which has historically had the harshest drug testing policies of any professional U.S. sport. Late last year, and again repeated recently, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones suggested the league's cannabis policies would be adjusted in the upcoming CBA agreement, and he's in full support. So this is interesting because you may recall when you had the um, the whole kneeling during yep. during um, Colin. The, the national anthem, right? Mm-hmm. And the Kaepernick case out mm-hmm. of San Francisco, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Jerry Jones who took a position – you know, a kneeling position right. in midfield with basically the entire team kind of showing his support. Yeah, unity. Right? Mm-hmm. And as did, as did 10 or 11 other teams. Right. So perhaps this will be another instance where uh, the players and the owners can agree to something that can move, you know, many things forward, especially the medicinal health of the players. The new XFL doesn't include cannabis in its drug testing protocols. In December, Major League Baseball indicated it was considering removing cannabis from the banned substance list. The NHL, the Hockey League, which includes many Canadian teams, does not penalize players for cannabis use at all. And the NBA is still the final holdout. They still fine their players up to $35,000 and multiple use can result in a suspension. Interestingly enough, the Pro Golf Association last year suspended two players within 12 weeks for cannabis use, despite the fact that many of its players, including Masters champ Bubba Watson, are promoting cannabis products. All right, so ask yourself, how can you do that? Right? You got cannabis, you got you got yeah. Bubba on TV, and you've right. got several other players now supporting the use of CBD, yeah. which, of course, is a cannabis-derived sure. product, yeah. right? Yeah. And so on the one hand, the players are effectively saying – that, you know, not only do we believe in it, but we're going to promote it. And then you've got other players being suspended. Yeah. I guess that's a bit of the case of the have and the have nots, right? Right, right. If you win a major, yeah, I good. guess you somehow slide by. Green jackets all accepted. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> all right. That wraps up our section on stunning and amazing facts. When we come back, it'll be my pleasure to move on to the third segment of our show with our guest, Roy Bingham. Roy is a Harvard MBA, a former McKinsey consultant, a serial entrepreneur, and founder of BDS Analytics, probably the leading data firm in the space. We'll be back with Roy right after this. Are you waking up the- with the Lucky Land Slots? You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk, just feeling it. Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to cbdeliveryny.com. That's cbdeliveryny.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. All right, let's move on to the third segment of our show. Today's guest, it is my pleasure to introduce Roy Bingham. Roy is a Harvard MBA, former McKinsey consultant, and a serial entrepreneur and founder of BDS Analytics. He grew up in the UK, was a banker and financier in London, and then he moved to the USA in 1993. He started BDS Analytics after recognizing that the emerging cannabis industry lacked the kind of sophisticated sales-based data that is both commonplace and essential in other more established industries. Many industries are entering the category, like consumer packaged goods, beverages, and healthcare, all of whom have been relying on this data for many years to make key decisions on the businesses that they're already involved in. As my listeners know, I made a commitment to bring you the critical facts and data that drive this category in as interesting and relevant environment as possible, and so we're excited to have Roy back on the show. Roy, welcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Great to be here. All right. Uh, let's get right into it. Could you just share with the listening audience a little bit about your background and how you got into cannabis? Yeah. So uh, I had done data and information and insights businesses before. The main one was focused on the natural products industry, basically anything you could buy in a Whole Foods market. My co-founder had done something similar in the biking, outdoor and leisure industry as well. And we know that uh, brands and uh, retailers need data in order to make crucial decisions. And that's the only thing I'm good at is pulling together data, basically, and turning that into information and then insights by organizing it appropriately for our clients. So I looked at the cannabis industry seven years ago. A couple of my former colleagues had uh, been investigating it seriously with a view to starting businesses. Uh, about seven years ago, I went to Colorado, met some people who I didn't get a very warm vibe from. I felt that it was a bit uh, too early for the industry for me, a bit too risky for my career. So I stood back for about two years, carried on doing what I was doing, which was working with probiotics and building a business uh, doing consumer marketing and probiotics. And uh, then two years later, my friend started a business accelerator, started investing in the space, introduced me to some people who were normal business people. And I suddenly said, oh, wait a minute, I think I understand this a bit better. But let's remember, at that time, the only thing that was selling in dispensaries in Colorado really in significant volume was flour. And it was just uh, private label flour sold in a brown paper bag. Mm -hmm. And you can't really track that very effectively and you're not really sure whether there's going to be demand for a data service which says, you know, there's a bag of this particular strain or that strain that sold last week. But we did see the beginnings of ingestible products and concentrate products that were looking like consumer packaged goods, although not very professionally done at that time. And that's what I focused on. So it's kind of like health food stores that used to have the bulk bins where the grain and all the sure, cereals and all that. and. And then now you never see any of that really because everything is but branded packaged good. And that, of course, is what's happened in the cannabis industry. And so uh, we realized there was a service that we could create. We have now about a 1,000 dispensaries that give us all of their point-of-sale transactional data. Uh, we anonymize that data, but then we categorize and organize it. There are no standardized SKUs and barcodes in this industry like CPG that you know so well, Jeffrey, and you can organize that data pretty nicely. We can't. We have to go from descriptions that are typed into systems, 100 different spelling mistakes, and you, know, you name it. Um, but we take all of that data. We use a bit of artificial intelligence and people to figure out 
what that description actually meant, which individual item is it, and then we categorize all of those items into 140 different subcategories. So now you can start to look at things like how are gummy candies doing within the ingestibles category, what's the best-selling brand, what's the flavor of the fastest-growing item, how how many milligrams of THC or CBD does it have, and that kind of detail that people really need in order to figure out which products to develop and whether they're competing effectively in the market. Right. Uh, so, And those are all the same decisions, to your point, that Jay and I have been working on for years, working for consumer packaged goods companies for the last 30 or so years. But the other thing that that kind of data does is it can be aggregated up and can give you a sense for category size, category growth tens, category dimensions. Would you agree? Absolutely. All yeah, right. So, so, let's, so let's, our data is all built bottom up like that. All right, so this is a category that has been much maligned or much loved, depending on your perspective. You were kind enough to join us about 21 weeks ago, um, and what I have tried to share with the audience ultimately is that it's data firms like yours that can give us a real feeling for what is happening in the category, not only at the individual SKU level, as you were describing, but also at a more kind of macro level. So share with us a little bit about the overriding trends that you're seeing in the, let's say, in the last six months. What's happening to the category from an overriding growth perspective, please? Sure. So first off, I'm going to talk about cannabis sold and licensed and regulated dispensaries. We can talk about CBD later and other cannabinoids from the hemp plant, but let's talk about cannabis from the cannabis plant first. Um, And so last year, sales in the United States are about $12.2 billion uh, of cannabis through that channel. That was a growth of about 27% from the prior year. So very exciting growth. Uh, We hear quite a lot of doom and gloom right now in the industry because of the poor performance of the public stocks and the lack of availability of capital, etc. But the reality is consumers are purchasing the products. And that's an expansion that's going on state by state. We now have, what, 11 states that have uh, 21-plus adult use available to anyone. And that's a trend that's continuing. A number of other states are likely to to adopt that. And at that point, you see very rapid growth. So Colorado has both a medical market and adult use market, for example, side by side. The adult use market is now four times bigger than the medical market. Um, California, of course, has basically converted its entire medical market into an adult use market. um, And they're integrated. They're one and the same, basically. And so that's about a $3 billion market last year. So when you add up the growth within those mature states, combined with the introduction of new states into either medical or adult use, you get that growth. And when we look at what's happening already and going forward very predictably for at least the next two years, without any major regulatory change, you can see continuing growth of about 20% compound in the United States. So what that means, compound growth is an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, that you go from $12.2 billion last year to 2024, we project a $31 billion U.S. market. Mm. And that's about a 19% compound growth rate over that period of time. Right. So and the other thing that I we brought to the attention of our listeners any number of times is Roy brings up the example of California and a $3 billion market there. There's also a judgment that says that roughly 25% of that business is being done in what I'll call – the legal trade and, a, and another, you know, 4X that is being done in the illegal marketplace. So for the listeners, while he's talking about a $30 billion marketplace by 2024, the true market, which hopefully will increasingly become legal versus what I'll call the gray market, is a much bigger marketplace. Would you agree? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, California, uh, the illicit market is probably about 80% of the total, as you say. It's very close to the number that we have in mind as well. Uh, Colorado, which has had five years now of adult use and never had such a big illicit market as California in the first place, we're at about 75% now, which is licensed and regulated. There's still about 25%, which is in the illicit market. Right. And, and that trend, of course, continues from state to state to state. Sure. And I'm just curious, are those, how do you get that data? What, how big is the illicit market? How big is the, what I'll call the legal market? How, where does that data come from? 
So the legal market is pretty easy for us to figure out. We have this panel of dispensaries that give us all of their data. Then there is tax data that is released by the state regulators, and you can triangulate and get the accurate numbers for the legal market. The hard part, as you point out, is the illicit market. The main thing that you can do there is you can look at the government survey data, which asks the question of people, you know, have, do you consume cannabis? Well, we all know that the government survey might not answer that very accurately. You try and adjust for that. The classic example here is Oklahoma, where about 5% of the population used to answer the question when they were surveyed that, yes, I consume cannabis. Well, about 5% of the population of Oklahoma now has a medical card. Hmm already in the last year, which would suggest that maybe that 5% number was a little low. Perhaps yeah. it's more like 15%, which would be more consistent with other more advanced states from a cannabis point of view. So basically, you take all of that data state by state, and you multiply it up to the population, you multiply it by the average amount of consumption that takes place, you adjust that based on what you see in the legal market. And that gives you an estimate of what the total market is. Okay, much, very, le- much more fuzzy than, of course. Yeah, the, but still, the, it's a it's a very good analytic, and it's it's one that we've been asked hundreds of times. You know, how do you know, right? Because there's a lot of conversation about what I'll call the, to your point, the illicit market versus the legal market, and what the true market size is. And I I, I would. I think it's fair to say that your organization does the best job of trying to capture that number, and I want to thank you for that for that perspective. Thank you. I appreciate that coming from you because you have all of this experience and uh, wisdom, and you study this data in more detail than I think anybody else I know. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, I'm not sure so much about how much wisdom I have, but I'm certainly studying the data. <laughs> all right. So let's talk a little bit about the international market as well. You guys are doing uh, quite a bit of analytics across the international marketplace, um, there's some very intriguing things happening. We were chatting at the break about Germany and other places. Let's talk about the three or four key lessons you're learning from the international market, if you would, please. Sure. So the first one everyone wants to talk about is Canada outside the United States, of course. And, and Canada actually did get going last year in a material way and created about a $1.6 billion market finally. It took a little longer than most people expected. We're projecting the Canadian market to get to about $6 billion by 2024. So at that point, it's like a fifth of the U.S. market, um, which is you know fairly consistent with most okay. people's realistic expectation of what's going to happen in Canada. Then, of course, you think about the other global markets, and this uh, legalization of cannabis is a totally global trend. Okay? Every uh, regulatory body, almost every government has got someone looking at it at the present time. Um, and when we look at Europe, uh, you take inspiration in a way from what's happening in Germany. Now, the European market last year was probably only about seven or $800 million. That is in licensed and regulated. There's a lot going on in the informal market, of course. But in the licensed and regulated market, only about seven or $800 million, of which Germany was about $200 million. Although I was joking because the Germans don't even actually know how big the German market is, but um, – which is odd to me. <laughs> right. Since they're famous for knowing their Being numbers, right? Very precise, usually, yeah. yes. Um, and so uh, that, of course, is a very substantial growth in Germany. They only opened up the market, which is a medical market with insurance reimbursement, very much like a pharmaceutical market. The products are only sold through licensed pharmacists. There are 20,000 independent pharmacies in, in Germany, of which many now carry a few cannabis products, or they order them overnight and get them delivered to the pharmacist the next morning for the patients. Um, but uh, uh, fully licensed uh, reimbursable products and expected to grow at probably to probably double in the next year at least um, with a very substantial take up from patients very often looking at very severe health conditions that they're suffering from um, and therefore they're treating the side effects or the symptoms of uh, of those conditions Right. So before we move off Germany and go to another country that you'd like to chat about, I want to underscore for the listening audience what Roy just said, which is that in Germany, they are um, uh, basically it's a it's a medicinal market, but it's an insurance reimbursed market. And there's a lot of conversation in, in this country about whether or not insurance is going to step in or not step in to the category. We have constant conversation on this show about the V.A., 
and um, the number of doctors within the VA that understand the value of cannabis on VA-related issues, veterans-related issues like PTSD, sleep, and a number of other problems, anxiety, etc., and their inability to step in and secure reimbursement. So while they might suggest to the veteran that they should or could be helped by consuming cannabis, they can help them financially, right? So I want to underscore Roy's point that in Germany, that is not the case. They are, in fact, supporting, from an insurance perspective, the space. Are you familiar with that taking place anywhere else? Well, I think to some extent in the medical market in Canada, you may have some insurance reimbursement. That, of course, that market, we tend to neglect it now because adult use happened and there's all the growth has been in adult use. But there is a medical market there of a couple hundred million dollars. Uh, I think there is some insurance reimbursement, or at least the rules have been approved for insurance reimbursement there. Um, and I would expect quite a lot of European uh, uh, countries to follow the German model as well. Um, in the UK, I know that they changed, you know, a big fanfare, they changed the law about a year ago, but there's like 50 patients who yeah, are exactly actually right. benefiting from <laughs> it. But I think they are being covered by the National Health Service in most cases, Th- those 50, or you can go outside the National Health Service and pay out of pocket as well. Mm-hmm. And what other countries do you see as leaders that we in the U.S. ought to be paying attention to, either from an investment perspective or just an overall kind of an analysis perspective to stay on top of the international marketplace for cannabis? So in terms of consumer products and consumer markets, the United States is actually way ahead of everybody, everywhere else, even significantly ahead of Canada. Canada only recently introduced its 2.0 products and very few of them have been approved and sold yet, whereas the United States are 140,000. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. thousand different types of products on the market. <laughs> uh, you know, so we've got the, the, uh, very, the capitalist market going and rocking and rolling here. Um, in Europe, you have a very limited uh, set of products. So most of Latin America is relatively limited, and it's uh, basically flour with a little bit of concentrates coming along and a few ingestibles in some places. However, research is quite different, of course. So research has been very limited in the United States because of the federal laws, uh, but places like Israel, Australia, uh, even Germany have had ongoing uh, research programs. So they're far ahead of us in many respects. Um, And, of course, they're looking into health conditions and treating uh, those medical conditions with clinical studies to demonstrate efficacy, uh, which we don't really have in the United States yet. Righto. Now, your organization was part of a very important book that's recently been issued, um, which covers the kind of the state of legal cannabis. I believe that's the name of the book, in fact, seventh edition, indeed. Um, And in there, to the point about clinicals, you guys have an analysis that talks about clinical studies that have been conducted for at least, I'll say, 15 different disease states from cancer all the way down through a number of other critical issues like uh, arthritis, Crohn's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Talk a little bit about what you've learned there, and is that the same trend that you're seeing internationally? In fact, to your point, I believe from my own own learning that we're quite a bit behind the international marketplace in this area. Yeah, so in the United States, you actually have – if you're going to do a clinical study, you have to obtain the supply of cannabis from the University of Mississippi. There's only one place you can get it from. Apparently, it's not very high quality, and some people who have had not very successful studies have actually said part of the reason the study wasn't successful is probably because of the very low potency, very poor quality of the cannabis that they were working with. And they weren't using concentrates and they weren't using other forms uh, of the product. So that is a handicap uh, that has been handed to the researchers in the United States. 
And then, of course, many universities are federally funded in some way in the United States and hospital uh, organizations. And so they're unable or unwilling or they don't want to take the risk of doing research that might interfere with their federal funding given the federal situation. Um, but outside of the United States, and most people point to Israel in particular, uh, you've had research going on for the last 40 plus years, mm -hmm. starting off with the fundamental research on the endocannabinoid system and then moving into individual conditions and treatment of those conditions and, and figuring out actually how cannabinoids are efficacious. And so uh, when you go into those studies and you go into clinicaltrials.gov uh, where you can look at this data, but of course it's not really organized very easily, so my research team organize it in such a way that you can actually see that there is a lot of research going on on cancer, for example, but also anxiety, depression, PTSD, started off with wasting disorders like cachexia as well. You know, So there's a tremendous amount of research that has started recently as some of that, some of that in the United States, but not much yet. Understood. So... Staying with the topic of uh, diseases and disease issues, the early part of the show and something that is on the hearts and minds of many people, especially here in a crowded city like New York, is the whole issue of coronavirus. What has your organization picked up on as it relates to trans issues impact on the space due to the virus itself? Yeah, it's different, isn't it? When you're in a densely populated area like New York City, I've only been here for a couple of days and suddenly I'm thinking differently than when I'm in the wide open spaces of Colorado or California or something. Um, so we've surveyed now about 100,000 consumers of cannabis about their attitudes, behaviors, likes, dislikes, etc. for our clients so they can figure out which kind of um, consumer to target and what kind of branding that they should focus on, etc. And the questions we've asked people is when do you consume, how do you consume, why do you consume, this kind of thing. One of the interesting things about it, that is people have told us the majority of the time they actually consume at home and they consume alone. So when you're thinking about COVID-19, doesn't it sound better when it's COVID-19? It feels like... I think it does, yeah. It feels so like we'll we know what we're talking about. Yeah, we'll go with that <laughs> one. You know, we, we feel like, oh, we've got as the under control. The, it's I've got heard, a heard name. somebody refer to it as the beer virus the other day. Coronavirus, right? <laughs> Stunning. Yeah, so... So when you think about that and people saying, okay, I don't want to be social, I'm not going to go and hang out in a normal bar where I might uh, sneeze or cough or someone might cough and sneeze on me or I might touch something that's going to uh, spread the infection, well, people are going to end up spending a lot more time at home. One of the things that people do at home is consume cannabis. Uh, so it's probably not a negative for the cannabis industry, um, especially with you know delivery options in some states or people teaming up in order that somebody goes to the dispensary on behalf of you know the the friends and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas alcohol consumption, you know, a significant amount of that is done on premise in a social environment, and that is probably going to be constrained. Right on. Now, now I, I think you're 100% right on that because more and more people are making the decision to stay home and do things with people that they know are, you know, kind of uh, less, what I'll just say, less risk for them, right? So that's kind of fascinating. And I do think that that kind of plays into the consumer behavior of cannabis. And speaking of consumer behavior, um, you guys do a lot of analysis in terms of demos and age groups and all the rest of it, but you also do a lot of an analytics on, um, uh, kind of replacement products. So if I'm using cannabis, I'm using it as a replacement for. And some of the early research I've seen in your work, I've, things like analgesics were showing declines. Um, a, a number of sleep aids were showing declines because cannabis was being used in some instances as a replacement product for that. Um, then on the other side of things, since cannabis consumption also stimulates appetite, we were seeing some significant growth trends in certain types of, uh, of snack product and other things, beverage product, etc., because of cannabis. Are there any new trends there, or is that simply the same fundamental trend continuing? Fundamentally, the same trend, uh, trend with regard to uh, pharmaceuticals and OTC drugs. So we keep asking people, you know, since you started uh, consuming cannabis, have you reduced your consumption of uh, sleep aids, prescription medications, etc.? And we've got to bear in mind that the older consumer, the 65-plus average American, is taking four, five, even six uh, prescription drugs very often. One of their objectives quite often is to get off those drugs. That's one of the reasons why they start consuming cannabis. 
And a number of them, a significant proportion of them have told us, yes, I've managed to reduce by one or two or even all of my prescription medications, Um, taking less uh, sleep aids, OTC products, and taking less painkillers. So that's an exciting trend. With regard to alcohol, it's a much more much more complex situation uh, with alcohol consumption. It's very nuanced. And, of course, you have situations of people consuming alcohol and cannabis at the same time, at the same event, etc. Uh, but there does seem to be a replacement effect that some people are consuming cannabis and they are then drinking less alcohol than they might have been before. And there are other people who just don't start drinking alcohol in the youngest generation Right now, there is a concern in the alcohol industry that they're not really adopting alcohol in the same way that our generation used to go down the pub and have a few beers. Right. Oh, because indeed they're consuming cannabis as a mechanism for kind of, uh, you know, what we might have consumed, to your point, the beers for, which I find fascinating. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we've quoted the number of $1.1 trillion as the pharma market size projections um, for 2021, and just without putting any numbers around it, the comments that Roy has just mentioned about the impact that cannabis is going to have on the pharmaceutical business at, in, in its entirety and certainly individual disease states or issues like sleep, medications, analgesics, etc., that kind of puts a bit of a, a shiver, I think, through the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, in that regard, Roy, I'm not sure you can speak to this or not, but are you seeing increased interest on the part of the pharmaceutical community to study this business, to get more involved, and to begin to understand and or invest in data like yours, et cetera? Thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, absolutely. So in Europe, for example, in Germany, most of the companies that are involved in the industry are already pharmaceutical companies. Um, in Canada, where we have federal legality now, you go to any event and you will see people from pharmaceutical companies, from the big international pharmaceutical companies there. Uh, in the U- United States, because of the federal situation, there's less of that going on. But that doesn't mean that they're not looking into it. I think nearly every pharmaceutical company has some kind of research activity or they're gathering data or they're beginning to develop their opinions about uh, where they won't want to go with their own strategies. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing the same kinds of things. The conversations I'm having offline with major pharmaceutical companies and the focus, the strategic focus in pharmaceutical companies is that uh, virtually every major pharmaceutical company based in the United States or internationally, but specifically based in the United States, is taking a hard look at this category and making some substantial investments in it to make sure that they are protected as it grows. Um, we've been we've had a lot of conversation about investing on our show um, talk to us a little bit about where BDS Analytics stands in terms of its current fundraising. Are you raising money? And do you have any thoughts on investing in the space, um, either in your business or in things that you're seeing that you think are particularly viable? So we raised uh, $10 million last uh, fall. So I'm very pleased to say we're in very nice uh, shape financially. Uh, I'm very glad we did it then because the market has become tougher since then, and it's actually difficult for companies to raise capital in this space right now. Um, so uh, we managed to do that with good timing. And over, overall, I'm hearing from other people and investors that it's just a tough time to raise capital for either cannabis companies or ancillary service companies like us. Right. Oh, I, I, I do think that one of the spaces that is particularly viable, though, is what I call non-plant touching spaces, which is clearly what your company represents. Um, and there's other folks we've had on this show that are non-plant touching, which I think kind of while it, there's still the economic dynamics that are relevant to this industry and some of the challenges that many companies that have gone public or that have raised money have had with regard to disappointing numbers, I do think that the non-plant touching side of the business, medium to longer term, continues to be interesting. So when you go for your next $10 million, I'd like you to call me first. <laughs> I'll certainly do that. All right. So before, uh, you know, I keep getting uh, flips, who's my producer over here, is kind enough to keep cutting in, telling me, Jeff, you're 25 minutes, 27 minutes, 30 minutes. But I really enjoy talking with you. This is the second time we've done it, and I find the conversation absolutely fascinating, and I know the listeners do as well. Uh, But before we go, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to bring to the audience just to kind of leave us with, please? 
Yeah, everyone in this industry, just remember what you're actually doing is bringing a really valuable product to millions and millions of consumers. Let's not get too excited about the financial opportunity and the investing side of it and that sort of thing. You're on a mission. You're on a mission to make people's lives better, to give them access to high-quality products. And uh, enjoy that mission. There is a tough patch going on right now. But if you can keep your eye on the mission, it will get you through that difficult patch. No, I, I agree completely, and I, I, I think that that is the best way to end the conversation because this is really uh, much more than a fad. It's it's well on to trend. It's a trend. It's a medicinal trend. It's going to change perhaps the health outcomes of a number of disease states. I'm seeing it in my family. I'm seeing it in my own situation. I know Jay has seen it across the board in his family, and I think that that's a wonderful way to end the conversation. So, listen, Roy, I want to thank you again for for coming and participating with us a second time, and we look forward to continuing to track what's happening with BDS Analytics and perhaps have you on the show sometime down the road. Thanks Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. Thanks, everyone. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to CBDeliveryNY.com. That's CBDeliveryNY.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Flipsy, I'm so proud of you. That's a great song by Sashmo. You're really reaching back, my friend. You seem to be going back into the library to find some truly good music to get the show moving. Give me a list of people who liked cannabis and CBD, so this is what I came up with. There you go. I'm proud of you. There you go. All right. So welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to take a look at our blog, medium.com slash at Jeffrey Hill 2. All right, let's move quickly on to the fourth segment of our show, your messages. We've got one interesting message that the Flipsinator pulled out of our DMs. Those are direct messages for those of you who don't understand that phrase. Not letters. Exactly right. Yes, for the first 10 weeks of the show, I was calling them letters, and the Flips kept correcting me. They are indeed DMs. The message today comes from Alexandra from New York who says... I've been talking to several friends who have seen real improvement in their sleep using CBD. I'm anxious to give it a try. Do you have brand suggestions for me? All right. Well, Alex, our show is sponsored by the CB Delivery Organization, of which Jay, to my right, is also the head of the Ambassador Program. All right. He's got a fully tested, brilliant line of products, and any one of those would be uh, our recommendation. Just a couple of cautions if you're thinking about other brands. Like all emerging businesses, there are lots of brands that have launched. Whatever you do, make sure you review the testing that has been conducted to guarantee the quality of the products that you consider tasting, testing. These tests should be on their website at a minimum. Bottom line, while there is a lot of anecdotal evidence to the value of CBD on sleep, it is really very specific to each individual. So our suggestion is not only to find a high-quality product, but also to make sure that you follow the directions for dosage and then customize that dosage to what works best for you. Please give us a call or send us another DM and let us know how it works out. We're curious to hear what the results are for those of our listeners who we recommend products for. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed our show today and our guest, Roy Bingham of BDS Analytics. We'll be back next week for another 60 minutes of the critical issues facing cannabis and CBD. Of course, the financial implications, the political implications, and the societal implications. Remember, knowledge is built brick by brick, as I say every week. That's our 44th brick, 44 weeks. Until next week, this is NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.